previously on the Multiverse of Marvel podcast. There was like Hulk, there was Daredevil, uh, Captain America. Alright everybody, welcome to the Multiverse of Marvel podcast, where each week our resident Marvel guys, Aaron and Dan Grinley, will take a dive into the crazy corner of the ever-expanding multiverse to see which topic we'll be discussing this week. Welcome guys, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. That's Not good. so bad. That's good. How about you? Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, the weekend is going well so far, even though we're only partially way into it, or yeah. almost well, halfway. Yeah. Where we are, it is beautiful outside. Yeah, so, yep, yeah it is. Yeah, the last couple of days have been uh, pretty good. Down outside. Enjoy yeah. the sun. Yeah. Let my cat enjoy the sun, too, a bit, I think. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, yeah, so I decided, yeah, I was, like, I was out earlier and took the dog out and then friggin' the, had a knock on the front door and the uh, friggin' neighbor was bringing the dog back. Because, uh, <laughs> as I was saying, those, those guys even fucking even closed the gate after them after they left. <laughs> Ooh, <what> uh, nerve. <laughs> yeah. so uh so before we uh get into everything uh this week we have uh two little pieces of uh, marvel news uh the first one is uh released uh, a couple days ago that uh black widow the eternals and uh shang chi movies will be delayed uh the release dates are like well into next year which <laughs> was kind of be expected because personally with uh, Mulan wasn't really uh, they tried to put it on Disney Plus and it probably didn't. Well, well I mean, because again, I, as I pointed out, I don't really want to pay thirty bucks on yeah. top of my Disney Plus to watch Mulan. Yeah, if I'm gonna yeah, watch, if I'm gonna watch Mulan, I'll just put on the cartoon, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and that, and that was my that was my thinking as well. And I think kind of the movie yeah. is more so for the people that saw the cartoon yeah. and what they want in it than it is purely a children's movie. So. See, I'll watch it, but I'm not yeah. paying thirty extra dollars yeah. to watch it. Exactly. You know? I mean, I'm already paying for Disney Plus. I don't really want to pay extra thirty dollars for a movie that you know I can take that thirty dollars and instead, you know, go see Bill and Ted instead, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah. So it didn't really strike me as like a great children's movie. So yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I think so. I think that's probably part of the test. Yeah. So yeah. So it was probably expected that. Uh, now at least Black Widow was moving back, and I forgot that uh, the Eternals were were the Eternals in Shang Chi this year as well. Or I don't think Shang Chi was, but um, Eternals I think was supposed to be originally was supposed to be like November this year. I think. All right, All right. And, and just for like quick little people like for me that, that are listening, like the, I'm not too familiar with the Eternals or Shang Chi, so just a uh, quick little synopsis on both of those guys. Uh, the Eternals were uh, one of Jack Kirby's big uh, return to Marvel uh, stories um, yeah. in the 70s, late 70s. He came back to Marvel after having gone off to DC and doing uh, the New God stuff, uh, writing Jimmy Olsen, creating Darkseid. He came back to Marvel, did uh, Devil Dinosaur, uh, did the Eternals. Was there another one he did there at Marvel, Dan? Probably, uh, I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Those, those are the, the you, you uh, nailed most of them I know right away. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Eternals originally uh, was supposed to be its own thing. Uh, Jack Kirby just doing New Age God superheroes. But uh, as did Jack, on... Jack Kirby doing Jack Kirby? Yeah, Jack oh, yeah. Kirby doing oh, Jack yeah. Kirby. Yeah, yes, Jack but Kirby. only, but again, like only Jack Kirby can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, 
he was doing it as its own thing, but as time went on, it started to get folded into the Marvel Universe. Um, yeah. More specifically, after it ended, there was a huge story arc in uh, Thor that uh, had him uh, having adventures with uh, a few of the Eternals characters. Oh, nice. uh, the story with them involves being part of... Uh, so for our listeners that uh, have watched the movies and have wondered about those big, giant, semi-glowy, god-like alien things we see in places like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, oh, when, when, when they're doing the uh, doing the uh, their old style stuff and where it was like the big guy taking over. like uh, uh, The history of like when they're showing the history of the, uh, oh, okay. um, the Infinity, Infinity Stones yeah. and they're oh, showing okay. that flashback there. You see these big, giant, weird, armored humanoid things. Uh, yeah. They're they're the celestials, and essentially they're like some of considered gods in the Marvel universe. They're they're a lot of what go around creating and destroying things, right? Yeah, they, so, they so, so so what the, the head of what Nor was? Like, yeah, that nowhere. Yes, nowhere is the head of a cel- dead yeah. celestial. Yes, okay. uh, I yeah. believe right now in the comics, the Avengers base is a dead celestial. Oh, really? Nice. I believe so, or it was for a little while at least. And it and is uh, Galactus is a celestial as well, or no? He's something entirely different. Oh, okay, oh, sorry. We'll, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. Get, we'll get to him later. We'll get yeah, to him. Yeah, Galactus will come later. But the Celestials—they're the things that go around the galaxy, sometimes seeding life, but other times where they find life on planets, they'll do things like uh, introduce uh, alternate branches to whatever the baseline race on that planet is on the uh this has happened on other planets to varying degrees on earth it resulted in the eternals which are the perfected uh humanoids you know like ultimate evolutionary capacity that sort of thing and on the flip side there were the deviants which were like more chaotic shapeshifter things it's also Uh, believed that they may have been what led to the creation of mutants, you know, that their tweaking eventually caused mutants to happen later down the line. Yeah, um, that, that's it's a theory. more of a um, yeah. an unintended consequence of what they Exactly, done. yeah. There, there's a lot of weird things going on on Earth in the Marvel Universe that we will see as time goes on. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's generally a stay-away place. Right. You know, if, if you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and are familiar with the summation of Mostly Harmless, Not uh, true in Marvel. the Marvel Comics version of Earth is the complete opposite of that. <laughs> it's clearly a, a stay away, don't come unless you're crazy or already know people here. Every, every time that every time aliens screw with Earth, Earth seems to slap them back pretty hard. <laughs> it gets to the point where during galactic debates about what to do with Earth, it's pointed out that the Phoenix Force calls Earth home. Galactus was turned away by Earth multiple times. There are just too many heavy hitters involved with that planet for us to really want to mess with. Yeah, it's too much crazy shit there. Just leave it alone. And it's like, uh, it's like that uh, little shanty town on the side of the highway. Just like uh, shield your eyes and drive past and yeah. don't do yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, what about uh, Shang-Chi? Because I think they were going to bring in the uh, the actual Ten Rings. And, so uh, from, so <laughs> Shang-Chi was uh, back in the 70s. I'm trying to capitalize on the uh, martial arts movie craze. Yeah, because like because he's the like the best like Marvel or the martial artist in Marvel he's, he's or best human or one. I, I again, even they state that in a fight, Iron Fist would beat him, but without powers, Shang Chi would kick his ass. Uh, uh, Shang Chi is a f- semi-fictionalized Bruce Lee of the Marvel universe. Uh, so yeah, like, how, how originally originally Iron Fist was a semi-fictionalized version of uh, he was based to look after like um um Chuck Norris. 
Okay, yeah. so he's so he's just like the pinnacle of like martial arts on yeah. in, no. without, now, without, without powers. Well, his story's got a little bit more interesting bits to it. Uh, Creator-wise, uh, Jim Starlin uh, did those first couple of issues. Um, yeah. Marvel Super Special, I think, is where uh, Shang-Chi first appears before going on to his own series. But yeah. uh, that's, again, Jim Starlin. He is the uh, bonafide genius creator who gave us Thanos and Drax and Gamora, among lots of other really cool things. But given how popular those three characters have been, cinematically speaking, yeah, it, it was cool that we got to see Jim Starlin in the uh, Infinity War film. Uh, now, he, oh, yeah, Dan? One of the issues that they have, though, with the Shang-Chi, because we're, we're getting a little far away from what uh, the kind of character is, um, he was originally the son of Fu Manchu, which is one of those yes. characters they can't really use, and, of course, is also considered uh, culturally insensitive at this point. Back to the golden age of comics as well. Yeah. You yeah. had uh, the Tax Roamers, old Fu Manchu uh, pulp serials, uh, the, the novels and such. Now, and, I hear for the movie they're replacing his father with the Mandarin, which is a brilliant. way they can finally bring him in. And, you know, it works. It works. It, I also hear the movie itself, the rumors are that it's about um, a tournament for the actual Ten Rings. Some sort of martial arts tournament's being held, and Mandarin goes to Shang-Chi because he's so good to represent him in this tournament to get him the rings. And I've heard that we're going to see a lot of cameos from Marvel characters. Like, you know, supposedly one of the contestants might even be Spiral from the Mojoverse. Like, there's... Uh, Mojo. I'm yeah. The idea of what they're doing there has me interested, for especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and for Eternals, it's probably going to be used to show a lot of the history in the Marvel Universe and go back yeah. and explain things beforehand. So yeah, they can use that as a device to really get into more detail about things if they want. Yeah, the, yeah, the Eternals are immortal. They've existed all throughout human history. So and they have a jacked Kumail in there uh, as well. Uh, what? They have a jacked Kumail in there as well. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 you guys, you both saw. I saw that fucking picture, like from like. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that picture. He got into Marvel shape for that movie, like oh, so many oh, other yeah. actors have. <laughs> uh, I'm so I, I feel. Again, the cast, the cast for uh, Turtles looks pretty good. Like, I'm uh, definitely interested in the cast I have. <laughs> yeah, so let's say yeah, so that uh, both should uh, prove interesting. And uh, the second piece of news is that uh, looks like uh, Sam Jackson is coming back as Nick Fury for a uh, Disney Plus show. Yeah, I'm down for that. Not There's really, like, yeah, so yeah. many things I could do. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, he had like he had like uh, Nick Fury had like a comic at one point, obviously. I think like by himself. Oh, so Nick Fury probably... is one of the uh, early Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they have like a... uh, from the '60s. Yeah, yeah that so was have, some like... of the more groundbreaking Marvel comics to come. Yeah, so, yep. Yeah. Like the, 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 the uh, classic title with all those uh, iconic Steranko covers that Marvel loves aping over and over again. Yeah, Not so, just yeah. the covers, his interior layouts. They're yeah. so much more dynamic than uh, a lot of what you were seeing at the time. Yeah, and exactly. there were a lot of other dynamic artists at the time too. Like this is just something that stood out a little bit more than uh, the already uh, fantastic stuff being produced by them. There it is. Yeah. So yeah. So I should be answering. You can never go wrong, Sam Jackson. And uh, this uh, reminds me of like a buddy of mine from uh, cons that I go to. I just found out the other day that uh, about the. And Nick Fury movie that uh, Buddy from Baywatch was in. Oh, yeah, I remember that uh, being on TV back in the day. Trying to watch it back then I, and just I, I, not I, getting I, into it when it was. I vaguely remember it being a thing, but I, I obviously at the time I didn't know Nick Fury until like I saw the as we discussed last week the Spider-Man cartoon, and then he showed up, and I was like, oh, okay, that's who that was. I knew it was a thing. 
but never oh, happened. I but I knew it would be wasn't being the best. And with Dave no, Stastoff, no offense if you're if you're listening, David. But it didn't look he, like he, he was good. He, was, he, <laughs> he wasn't the problem with it because I mean, he figured he looked decent enough like Nick yeah. Fury that it wasn't yeah. a problem, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But I yeah, it's like expected it to be not great. So I never actually yeah. Well, again, it, it TV was movie. TV movie. It had TV movie yeah, so. production qualities. That's that was the big flaw for so yeah. many of those. Uh, yeah, true enough. Yeah, say same with like the uh, the the Hulk movies, like where they had like. Uh, uh, Thor show up in the second. But the, I mean, those were basically we'll continuations of the show, so they weren't exactly. really much better than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, and, and, more like the Generation X movie, where you know there's so much heart to it, but the special effects are really yeah. low tier, very low. It, it, that movie would have helped with a bigger budget to at least throw like Husk and Chamber in there, you know? Yeah. Well, not not yeah. even that. Just giving a little bit more oomph to uh, what they yeah. had on screen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love that movie, and I have yeah. like three copies of it here in my room. So, I mean, nice. yeah, I, I've, I've got an actual legit copy of that on VHS, which is like probably the rarest thing I'm gonna have in this room. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, David Hasselhoff turned out to be taller than I thought because he like he walked by it walked by me at a con one time. He's like six five or six six or something. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that? I mean, yeah, I figured yeah. he was tall, but like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally caught me off guard. I just kind of looked over, like, oh, and that was like that was like the one thing I wasn't gonna be like, hey, Mitch or whatever. But it was like that just caught me off guard. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's always yeah. surprising when you see that. You know, like yeah, yeah. I think when Avery Brooks walked by me at the one con, he was a little smaller than I expected him to be. Not much, but a bit. And then you saw Leslie Nielsen, and he's exactly the size he's expected to be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, the, and the, yeah, then like I think it was uh, not last year, but the year before, fucking walked by Mamula, and he's only got like an inch, yeah, like an inch, inch and a half on me. So he's yeah, not, he's not that much bigger than me. Well, well, obviously he's bulked out bigger because I fucking don't he's work out. He's <laughs> significantly wider than you are, Adam. Sorry. He's significantly. Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, and Paul, yeah, he's probably stand up straight because he had like proper back muscles and stuff. So. Leslie <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nielsen was definitely stooped when we saw him. Yeah, yeah. When I saw him, he was definitely getting, you know. Oh yeah. He, he, you could tell he was shuffling along. He still had the great, you know, the twinkle in his eye. He was pretty happy, you know, and smiling yeah. at people and waving at everybody walking around. But you could tell he yeah. was definitely getting older. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's always uh, that's always uh, rough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, but yeah. So but uh, for this week, folks, uh, as we were initially going to get bit more into the Marvel's uh, history last week, but we kind of didn't and whatnot. So I think we're just uh, discuss that a little bit more uh, this week. So and uh, and yeah, I didn't really start with Marvel Comics proper. It was like Timely Comics first. Yeah, back in 1939, well, uh, publisher Martin Goodman ended up getting into the comics game and started Timely Comics. So it goes way back to that point. Yeah, but uh, furthermore than that, Marvel Comics was basically their first issue yeah so, like, like marvel number one right yep yeah, yeah. where they introduced I, I, I uh the, the original human torch and namor and we got uh on the cover this month the human torch an incarnation still to in use to this the, the, to this day and um, and just yeah. and just to be clear it's not the fantastic four human torch no no the, no, uh, no different character uh, yeah we'll, entirely different character yeah. We'll quickly go through this issue because there's a lot in here that uh, will continue to fuel Marvel creative for decades to come. Like, again, yeah. just on the cover, Human Torch, uh, the Angel. Um, but not, uh, not the X-Men Angel. No, not, not, not the X-Men Angel. But again, like we will see namesakes used 
and we will see these characters eventually recycled in various incarnations. Mm -hmm. uh, Submariner, same incarnation uh, that we are still enjoying to this very day. Like, ah, uh, yes, they had Namor, yeah, the uh, yeah, the uh, Marvels Aquaman, I guess, or Greg Granny was first, so I guess Aquaman is. There, the, yeah, the, there, there's a fair bit of comparison Marvel. between the two, both monarchs but, of Atlantis, both. Yeah, like I, yeah, they, yeah, they, they're, 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 yeah, they're the uh, both companies like. Uh, similarity i guess or whatever or, yeah, yeah like, man, there's several of those uh, all throughout the history of both the uh, oh, yeah, type of exactly, both exactly, companies exactly. yeah exactly yeah, yeah so. but, uh, it's more of what they did with these characters and the uh, issues in years to come that uh, really made the difference um yeah. uh, we also got featuring kazar the great 12 pages of jungle adventure kazar character that they recycled in the 70s moving forward jungle adventure that was recycled to be uh, the vehicle for one of black panther's earliest solo stories uh, or not, sorry, not Jungle Adventure, Jungle Tales. A Jungle Adventures that has been reused somewhere, but now it's slipping me. Uh, when we go through the first issue, yeah, we got uh, the very first Human Torch story by Carl Burgos. Uh, this is the Jim Hammond incarnation of Human Torch. Uh, when you follow through his history after you know the fifties, moving on into the sixties, what happens in the early days of the Marvel timeline? It gets weird. It gets retconned. But ultimately, this is a character who does come back and plays a, a part in the Marvel, Marvel, modern Marvel universe a few times. Yep. Uh, he is an early android, uh, artificial humanoid created back in the, I think for his timeline, he's actually created in story in like the early 30s. But there's a flaw in his skin uh, when he comes into contact with oxygen, his skin just bursts into a non-consumable flame. Like it, it doesn't burn him, but it is still a flame that will catch other consumable things on fire. Uh, on the first demonstration, like a World's Fair kind of thing, uh, which we do see a quick call out to in Captain America: The First Avenger. Yep, uh, he has this little during, cameo there during a crowd shot of the World's Fair. You can oh, see that's right. there is a um, a display capsule uh, in the middle of the crowd, and standing in it, inert, is the Jim Hammond Human Torch. Yeah, um, which which I always thought was kind of funny because Chris Evans was the uh, the Fantastic Four yep. version of Human Torch yeah. in the in yep. the uh, in the Fantastic Four movies, which is always funny. <laughs> nice little little call out there. Yeah, yeah um, so. but uh, crowd reaction when uh, when uh, what was the guy's name? Erskine. Uh, when uh, his creator, uh, Professor. No, Erskine, it, was, uh, it wasn't Erskine. No, no, no. Erskine was the Super Soldier for him. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Should have pulled Hammond. No, it wasn't Hammond. Hammond. No, Everett. No, no. Hammond. No, it wasn't. I, I, really, I literally just read it today. Yeah. I should have. I literally it. just read it like an hour ago. How would I not remember it? <laughs> Anyways, the zero issue of uh, Horton. There it is. Professor Horton. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, no. Horton, when he demonstrates to the crowd, hey, here's this added little feature he can do, the crowd freaks out and declares Human Torch a menace. So he's buried in concrete and given uh, an oral education. He's got headphones on that t tells him about the world, but doesn't allow him to see or experience anything. Oh, so he's actually so alive and shit in case oh, yeah. he's, 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 he's just, he's just like, yeah. So he says like headphones. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is what's going on this he's, week. Like, it, it didn't even encase him underground. Just to, just to be clear on that, they just built a wood frame and filled it up with concrete and put this capsule with him inside of it. So he's not even like buried under the ground or anything like that. Yeah, he's, he's so just he's just like in like Times Square or just chilling out somewhere. Like just chilling in some guy's like backyard. Like the, oh, I think fuck. I think I was like the property of uh, of um, 
that's greater, I think, or something like that. <laughs> in case of yeah. anything, it just has a little finger in the front. In case of anything, do not open this. Yeah, like uh, when he like, breaks out in the middle of the night, he, the, the the professor wakes up and is like, "Oh no! Like, what was there like a leak in the thing? Like, how how did he get out?" <laughs> God, that was the human torch's tomb. Could he have been destroyed? Yeah, uh, yeah like, find out like, next week, folks. Dialogue. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, uh, it, it continues on. Um, this one. Uh, he ends up getting found by uh, a criminal who decides he's going to get into racketeering by, you know, using human torch to burn down places if they don't give him insurance money for fire. <laughs> oh, for which, the uh, yeah, like protection each week. Like, exactly, you know, and of course, the first like, which I don't quite understand in the plan because they leave him at the building and then they literally just leave him there. So how like are you, you going to how are you like going you, to redo you, this over and over again if you just leave what your your device there right? Well, you anyway. think well, you think it'd be like here you do your thing and then leave like where you just like did you just stay there after the fire started? Yeah, no, they literally just the fire. They 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 brought him like a capsule and they threw something out to break it. And they ran away and they just kind of left them there. <laughs> so he gets, figures out what they're doing. So he goes back and goes after them. And then at uh, around this point, he's starting to learn how to properly use his powers, how to throw fireballs. You know, he how he can leap like really high, like Superman originally did. Yeah, no. By the end of the story, he's demonstrated to the police that he has control over these flame abilities. He shows a sense of uh, remorse over the damage he's caused. He he wants to make right by this. So, if I recall correctly, um, his human alter ego, like the not that he's switches into a human, but his civilian identity is. Um, Employed as a police officer, if I recall correctly. All right. Um, next story in it, we've got uh, the angel who's crying. Superman rip off, rip off, basically. Superman with a mustache. Yeah. He, Watch he's got he angel wings on his cape or on his chest, but he's got a red cape. He's just not a very eye catch. Yeah. Not descriptive powers. Like, it seems like he might be able to fly. He might just be leaping. He seems to be super strong, and nothing seems to hurt him. Like it's, he fights a bunch of gangsters. It's not much else to it, really. Yeah, it's about an eight-page story here. They're, compared to the previous uh, Human Torch story, it's uh, a, at least the the printing here in the anniversary issue is a little bit um, not as. Um, colorful really there's there's a little bit too much uh browns and yellows mixed together in this kind of murky shade and the same goes with like blues and purples on other pages uh, it, so it's they, not they, a, they, the whole story is just not as eye-catching so uh, they create they, didn't quite how to put the, the quite colors to make it pop yet i i would assume so basically based on the the color representation on the other pages that i see here it's it's a newer glossier print but they don't appear to have changed inherently what's going on. I haven't yep. compared it to scans from the original copy, of course. Uh, but the next story we've got, you know, we've got The Submariner uh, by Bill Everett, somebody who is still uh, continuing to do work for Marvel by the time we get to the initial Marvel days, uh, co-creator of Daredevil along with uh, Stan Lee, um, continues to do some Submariner work uh, on in the 60s when they reintroduce him into the modern Marvel age. Uh, Did you guys watch the uh, the boys? I haven't got into it yet. The wife wants to start it. Yeah, I did. Read the entire comic run myself. But okay, yeah, we've read we've read the entire comic. Make that clear. We've uh, read the uh, entire comic. Uh, it's just me, or is this like the uh, the water guy? Is that like a kind of ripoff of Namor's costume, or is that one of Aquaman's costumes? 
Um, I always thought he looked more like some Mariner than he was of. Yeah, he, Aaron, Aaron uh, the Deep looks very, very different in the show from the comic. Yeah, no, oh, okay. from what little bits and pieces I've seen, uh, it. It seems like a bit of a mix of, of certain ones to me because he's kind of got the sort of weird vest thing that yeah, that Namor wore, but it looks very the, different. Uh, but yeah, so but, I, but I guess it's just the actor. I guess that I, that made me think that because because obviously because obviously the seven is is the, the is yeah the, the, the Justice League yeah in the comic book the Deep's costume is is deliberately stupid like he's got like um. Have you seen a deep sea diver, like an eighteen hundred or a nineteenth century deep sea diver helmet? But have you yeah. seen the wrestler MVP? You know how he's got like the long sleeves, but like the short legs and the the, yeah. the fully uh, <laughs> covered body. Okay. Yeah, the deep's got like a costume kind of like that with a cape, and then when you've got this stupid diving bell helmet that he claims he can't take it off due to some sort of Atlantean curse. Like, <laughs> It's so ridiculous. I, yeah. I kind of want to see them do it on the show, but at the same time, like it just wouldn't be fair to the actor to long-term have them in that sort of a stupid getup. Yep. <laughs> Come well, on, these guys have to have lives outside of the show. They can't be ridiculed <laughs> for this crap all the time. Um, yeah, getting back to the Submariner one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, we've got some really interesting artwork with this. Um when you go back to the golden age of comics uh, in the, the late 30s, uh, early to mid 40s, you get a lot of uh, varying uh, styles when it comes to depictions of faces and human bodies. Because yeah. there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, previous, um, th there weren't other comics for the creators to go from like, oh, this is what's popular, I'm going to do that. Like, this isn't the 90s where, you know, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, and the others are doing their particular. And it's not like, you know, Japan when Mega started where one person influenced almost everybody at the start of it, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, it happens very differently in North America. Um, for, for approaching this from a cinematic perspective, uh, yeah. if you remember the Dick Tracy movie that came out just after the Batman movie in 1989, yeah, the, yeah, with, that one was the a big the yeah, character that all those villains that we got those great action figures of all those weird faces that were like great actors hidden under bizarre grotesque makeup yeah. that's par for the course for the golden age of uh, comic <laughs> books the, the sort of villains you'd see the sort of uh, caricatures so when you get to uh, this Namor comic you, there's a certain sleekness and regal approach given to the Namor character that even today, it's it looks it's not very dated artwork that when you look at Namor himself. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff around him, like depictions of like the civilians, the boats and stuff, yeah, that definitely puts it back in the thirties. But Namor himself, like he's he's very much a well designed character. Like and when you get to like some of the more detail prone shots of like uh um a panel with just his face like the the arch to his eyebrows the the long slanted cheekbones that you could cut yourself on and the pointed ears like it's a very distinct image that they give to him very. and next to him here in the same page we've got uh, a native atlantean the blue skinned ones that they play with the whole racism angle sometimes yeah so yeah, so that's yeah, yeah with that image of him that's what that made me think of the boys guy because you just give him pointed ears and it kind of looked the same i would think yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's so. definitely a trademark more of namor than uh, aquaman aquaman yeah, doesn't appear yeah. to or not 
he doesn't show any distinctly Atlantean traits from no. uh, his race. Yeah, like, or yeah, like, yeah. Or Namor, he doesn't have the blue skin typical of uh, Atlanteans in the Marvel universe because he is a half-breed human. But yeah. all the other features, the, the little fins on the ankles that are so often mistaken for wings, um, the, oh, yeah. the arched eyebrows, the ears, these are all typical for all Atlanteans in Marvel. Mm -hmm. Moving yeah. on through the story here, it's got some great more character uh, arc or character uh, depictions. We got the Masked Rider uh, Western comic. Um, Western comics, uh, they did have a bit of a flourish in the 50s once uh, the Marvel, or not Marvel, the, the Comics Code of Authority starts to outlaw more of the, the crime and horror elements. And uh, Westerns become a little bit more. Um, easy to uh, fit within the parameters of uh, the code. Um, but for the 1940s, 1930s, you're better off looking at, uh, you know, the more iconic ones at this point. Uh, it's just red tuniced uh, uh, cowboy guy with a black mask and a white hat. It covers his whole face so as not to confuse him with uh, the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Uh, Jungle Terror explorers in uh, a uh, jungle region dealing with natives. Just a quick flip through. It's a fairly typical Indiana Jones kind of looking for treasure. Oh no, we've underestimated what these natives are capable of. Oh, we have to escape. Yeah. Uh, then we get to Adventures of Kazar the Great. Um, okay, yeah, it's Kazar. That, that, that sounds familiar. I think I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, now, the Kazar that you're probably familiar with is the Marvel Universe one, which isn't exactly the same as this one. This one, yeah, they, no, they retweet him to make him... not uh, Kevin Plundar. Is uh, David uh, Rand. Yeah. David. Like, yeah. Yeah, the, the, is it like Danny Rand? or Coincidence. Different? Coincidence. Yeah, this guy's the child of Constance and John Rand. He didn't crash and he doesn't end up in the Savage Land. He ends up in Africa somewhere. Yeah, and... Uh, was, he, was he down by the rains? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least in this instance, the guy's parents aren't killed and he's not left to uh, be raised by gorillas or raised by a pack of wolves. At first. <laughs> yeah, at first, yeah. <laughs> now, things don't go so well. But yeah, raised in the jungle, learning all these crazy skills. Um, visually, you can clearly see that he and Kevin Plundar are not uh, the same character. Um, curly blonde hair with a curly blonde beard. Uh, curly, a eh? White guy. Very, very curly. Yeah. But uh, that's yeah. the cap off for that issue. That is the start <laughs> of Marvel Comics. And... Like a good half of what's in there is still stuff that's uh, relevant in the comics more. Or that less was like, that was like what that was nineteen thirty nine. Nineteen thirty nine. It cover date in October. Yeah. Uh, showing cover date. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the practice of the time was to um, well, the fact that it's actually listed as a number one is unusual at the time because it was found that because uh, those were just like the. First issues, unlike nowadays, first issues didn't sell so well. This was a brand new thing. Why should I spend my money on this if it's a brand new untested venture? Oh, but yeah. look, hey, they've got issue nine of this other book. Wow, uh, they must have uh, something to show for it if they're up to issue nine. I'll try this one out. So there's examples of comics that start off arbitrarily on later issue numbers. And by the same token of, of that, we have uh, publication dates pushed up and up so that 
certain books are kept on the shelves longer than other books so as to take a little bit more real estate there's there's a lot of battles back and forth between different publishing companies and different comic book companies over the decades over um how much space you can take up on the newsstands. Um, I believe Marvel and DC were taken to court over it once, or at least threatened with it. There was, there was a time when they were publishing a glut of what many would say were mediocre titles just to have all of their yeah, more... Just to, just to take up more real estate on the shelves? Yeah, if, if there's more of their stuff on the shelves, it's pushing out this other stuff which is selling more and more copies based on the quality of their books rather than, you know, recognizable characters. Well, if we, well, this, this character was hot in this comic, so let's give him his own story. And then that way we can, you know, maybe push Nexus off the shelves in this retailer. That's a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, going <laughs> off right there. <laughs> back, back on to the, uh, the old timely stuff. Um, as you continue on, if, if you start looking through a lot of uh, what they had, you'll see more and more examples of characters and ideas that do get brought back into the, the modern Marvel age. I mean, they, um, they created Captain America. That's when it started, back in the timely yeah. days. And, yeah, and, and, how, and how long did that uh, Marvel uh, title run for, do you, do you know? Uh, it, in various ways, it continued for many, many years. Uh, issue 2 was retitled Marvel Mystery Comics. Uh, stayed that way up until the end of the 40s. Right. And then as it uh, as uh, moved over to the 50s, became just Marvel Tales, the, the first incarnation of Marvel Tales. Um, later during the modern Marvel era, which is generally what we'll be referring to it in the, the post-Fantastic Four era, um, Marvel Tales is resurrected as a, uh, a reprint title for Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. Once uh, Marvel uh, team up uh, reaches its conclusion, they, uh, I believe it's Marvel Tales that uh, they use to fill the roster. And uh, at the time and for the years to come afterwards, it was one of the easiest ways to, or one of the cheaper ways to get a lot of the uh, older comics that had start to rise in price or become a little bit more difficult to obtain. Um, the success of uh, the Marvel Tales reprints is one of the things that led to uh, the uh, X-Men classic reprints that allowed Daniel easy access to so much of those early excellent Chris Claremont stories. Yeah, and included yeah. some great backup stories along the way as well. Oh, it did. It really did. Yeah, so again, there's just based on the title alone, how long the legacy has continued. Not only that, but uh, Marvel has used the alternate Marvel tales as in the anatomical detail for some of their funny animal stuff. Uh, Marvel tales, T-A-I-L-S, uh, is the first, <laughs> first of everybody's now favorite Spider-Man, Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Oh, the Spider-Pig. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, so that no, one no, no, just... no. Sp Spider Pig is a distinctly Simpsons character. Oh, yeah. Okay. Spider Ham is the oh, trademark Marvel character. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I don't know, have you seen yeah, Into the Spider? Yeah. Have you seen Into the Spider Verse yet? I did. I did want uh, once when it first came out. I it's one I've been meaning to watch again recently. This is something I haven't watched in a while. Okay, it was it was did, good. Yeah. Did yeah, did did he show up in it? Yep. John Mulaney voiced him, I believe. Oh, he was one of the major players in the uh, the comic book Spider Verse crossover. 
Oh, he was a major player in the movie too. Uh, well, yeah, like it was. I've got to rewatch that then. It's been a while. I don't remember that. Nah. Which is it's, weird. It's, it's just fun to say Peter Porker, the spectacular spider ham. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Uh, Peter Porker. Oh, those puns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Marvel uh, with uh, their timely stuff. Uh, things continue on. Uh, we've got uh, Human Torch and Submariner are already in play. And we've got uh, Simon and Kirby, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Stan Lee does not have anything to do with the initial creation of Captain America. The Golden Age stuff, uh, as, as in his position as editor of Timely Comics, yeah, he would have been editing the Captain America stories, but yeah. he's not a creator of Captain America. That sometimes gets mis- misconstrued here and there. He, he came up with the round shield. That, yeah, that, that was that was his his contribution to it, and, and that had more to do with the fact that that specific shape of shield uh, was an infringement on a different pre-existing character's logo. So they had to change that shield in order to make Captain America that much more distinct from other uh, patriotic American super soldier uh, characters. Uh, but with those three, timely has what you know what dc has the big three dc's got batman superman and wonder woman timely's got captain america namor and submariner uh before all three get hooked up there's a a series of stories involving that'd be a sexy three-way america's ass and uh, (laughs) what would you define the other two as what would their porn names be We'll leave it up to the listeners to decide. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, there's some uh, battles between uh, the Human Torch <laughs> and Namor the Submariner. You got the, the water and the fire elements going at each other. Um, the, these are best depicted for modern readers in the early issues of uh, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's Marvels. Um, oh, Alex Ross. Yeah, if, yeah, it's, uh, uh, if you, you want to get an introduction to the Marvel Universe as a fan, uh, Marvels is an actual excellent book to read to get that whole early Marvel, you know, what was going on, what, the overall story of it all. Snapshot. It, it, it encompasses the... Fine, fine, come on. Sorry. My cat decides he wants to join us. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, Marvels is a nice snapshot of what encompasses the, the Marvel Universe in the early days. It is... It's actually relevant to what we're talking about right now because uh, the story of Phil Sheldon, uh, he's a young photographer in New York in the 1930s. Uh, the the feeling of the people at the time is that something big is coming. You know, there, there's an energy. You know, um, one of the people that Phil Sheldon grew up with was uh, Nick Fury. Nick feels it too. He's ready to go off and join the service because when things happen, he wants to be in a position where he can make a difference. And, and Phil gets it, but he's not a fighter, but he's good with a camera. So when the initial battles between the Human Torch and the Submariner break out, he's in a great position to be able to help document what's going on. Uh, so he's like uh, Jimmy Olsen or Peter Parker before. Yep. Peter yes. Parker does come into play, and based on how Peter portrayed his civilian slash business persona phil sheldon does not like peter parker he thinks he's a weasley little shit uh the the way the way peter makes money off of those spider-man pictures and the fact that all peter's pictures look like they were either shot through gauze or like he just stuck the camera to the side of the the wall and set it on automatic 
Like, why does he keep getting jobs? Why is he still making all this money? Ah, the little punk. <laughs> Fuck that little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Phil, he's he's in the perfect position to document this burgeoning age of heroes. Um, he's there when uh, the policewoman. Um, uh, I forget her name off the top of my head. Major supporting character for uh, Namor. But she brokers a peace deal between the Human Torch and Namor so that they're they're on good terms with each other. World War II breaks out and they meet up with Captain America overseas in the Eastern Front to, you know, do what they can. Uh, stories, these stories are uh, outside of the Golden Age comics and the modern stuff you can find those adventures in The Invaders, uh, which is a great series. Um, Roy Thomas is, has contributed so many great things to the, the comic industry, and one of the things is bringing back so many of these Golden Age characters. Um, with his work on The Invaders, he's going back and telling the Marvel Comics versions of what was happening back in World War II with um, these three characters and the other different heroes that would uh, join them. Um, this allows him to uh, kind of correct a few continuity errors that may have come into play uh, throughout the various uh, eras of comic book storytelling. It lets him uh, shine a light on stories that... Uh... Oh, yeah, there's uh, what you got there. Uh, it shines a light on uh, various um, characters and stories that may have otherwise fallen by the wayside and been forgotten by the other comic fans. And even reintroduce characters to uh, modern uh, audiences. Uh, one of my favorite stories from the Invaders, though, is uh, a tie-in to uh, one of the characters that a beloved Marvel character that didn't exist uh, during the Golden Age, Thor. There is in Invaders a World War II Thor story. Uh, so much fun! Hitler summons Thor. Hitler <laughs> summons Thor and convinces Thor, like, outright lies to Thor, and claims that the invaders are... Wait, like, Hitler? No. No, yeah. Never. An honest soul like Hitler? No. <laughs> uh, so he convinces Thor that uh, the invaders are the bad guys, and that they're trying to conquer uh, what would be, you know, soil native to Thor's worshippers. Because we've seen throughout Thor comics in uh, the years to come that, you know, there are different cultures that still worship him as a god, that literally do pray to him. Yeah. And, you know, he can respond to these prayers. So this is typically that sort of thing where, like, oh, invaders are threatening my people? Okay, that seems like a cause I can get behind. Let me see what I can deal about this. And he kicks the crap out of the invaders. <laughs> like, he's just on a power level that they can't deal with. They do eventually convince him the error of his ways. But yeah, Thor nice. in the, the Golden Age. Uh, they recut Thor into a lot of older Marvel stuff that just, it seems to work almost every time they do it, right? I mean, having yeah. him fight Apocalypse, like, like that, that's great. Really? Yeah, when did that happen? Uh, 10th century, I believe. Uh, it yeah. happened in a Thor comic, one of the, the Thor's uh, solo titles that came out several years back. Um, yeah, we yeah. found out that the two of them got into a fight, and Thor did something he shouldn't have to beat him, and that led to problems much, much later down the line. Uh, yeah. As it does. Yeah, Always Thor does. Thousands of years old, and I think has reborn 
being reborn a couple times. Yeah, because yeah, because he was like dead at dead during the first uh, civil war at some point. I think Ragnarok might have happened. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, right. Cycle, right? Yeah. it's a cycle. Ragnarok happens again and again. Apparently, it's it's a cycle. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Ragnarok was right before. That's what happened. Yeah. So because I yeah because I had didn't know about that beforehand. So I was like, why is Thor dead? And then really, the reason was if they left Thor and Hulk on the playing board for Civil War, it would have really changed the game oh, a lot. Oh, exactly. When, yeah, so. when you start analyzing certain crossovers and certain events throughout the years, you'll start to notice these chess-like moves. Uh, during the Onslaught crossover, in the ads leading up to it, uh, Daniel and I noticed that Ghost Rider had been listed as one of the uh, accompanying titles with what was happening, because, well, the 90s Ghost Rider was set in New York. Yeah. Wouldn't you know it, during the exact events of Onslaught, Ghost Rider's off like in Jersey City, dealing with something out of town. <laughs> and Daniel and I, you know, discussing it at the time, realized that, yeah, with Ghost Rider's tenant stare, if, and with his power level in general, not much would have stopped him from getting his hands on Onslaught. And yeah, and, on, and, 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 for, and for those and then, who don't know who Onslaught is, just like... Uh, oh, well, we shouldn't yeah, like a, that, you know, that's... But, but yeah, but that's an X-Men thing <laughs> later on. That's a... That's a, that's a but, yeah, but we get to the idea of the Heroes Reborn and all that, we'll definitely have to get into Onslaught before yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that, uh, that was at the end of Fatal Attractions, right, wasn't it? Like, oh, no, 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 it goes no, earlier than that. No. Uh, no. Or, or shit, or anything. Back, back to the uh, fill-in issue. Actually, the first, technically, the first appearance of Onslaught would be uh, Uncanny X-Men 106, I believe, where it's, it's a filler issue where the X-Men get attacked by like an evil Xavier, and it's like Xavier's evil side attacking them, and that is technically the first appearance of Onslaught. Technically. Yeah, but but uh, wait, or it wasn't something about that at the end of Fatal Attraction, or I just uh, when uh, he when he when he wiped Magneto's mind. Yeah, that's, something that's, left Magneto and went to Xavier. Something broke in Xavier. Okay. So that's they've, they've also they've retconned it again recently with uh, House yeah. of X, whereas uh, it turns out that Moira, Moira's long-term plan from when she and Xavier first met up to what's going on with the X-Men stuff now, she had to break the goodness and kindness in Xavier. And one of the things she worried about was that it could create something far worse, which it did, which was Onslaught. Onslaught. Oh, okay. But again, it's okay. we'll, we'll find out more about that whenever they finally get into the Moira comic that's supposed to come. Hopefully, and and we can cover more details about that when we get up to that. Yeah. I can't I can't talk about too much X Men stuff right now because it's just it's so <laughs> far from where X Men started at this point that it's yeah. it's so much to get into so I much. Know. I, I know. Sorry. Getting into, uh, getting into X Men is so daunting. Well, that's the thing. At this point, at this point, Adam, it's really easy because all you have to do is pick up House of X and uh, Powers of Ten because it doesn't matter so much what came beforehand because they've kind of just started fresh and new and going it's, forward from that. It's what they generally call a new jumping on point for yeah, new yeah. readers. But but everything since then has been all nice and cohesive and fitting together and yeah. some of it's been really good, some of it's been you know, kind of pointless. But all around, I, I've been loving it. That's us. Yeah. So uh, when we continue on through the history of uh, the, uh, the Marvel Universe, we got... Yeah. Uh, for the most of the 40s, uh, the focus of all the superhero comics are on the war effort, either dealing with uh, the crime elements that are trying to take advantage of uh, what's going on in the world on the home front, or taking the fight to the Axis powers in various factions of the war. Now, this, it's, it's a product of the times. But uh, following uh, the 1940s, uh, superheroes just don't hold the same appeal. So 
Marvel or Timely and other companies have to start diversifying much of uh, their output in order to uh, retain readership. They need to start giving readers more than just the, the capes and the tights action. So we start to see like, you know, funny animal comic books, like tune based stuff, uh, specifically crime based. Uh, this is when we get to the era where EC Comics starts off uh, with their Tales from the Crypt, uh, uh, Vault of Horror, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's where the real popularity starts to lie. Uh, Marvel is not on top of the game at this point. They're, they're staying active. There's still stuff from the, the late 40s and the 50s that they're utilizing today. Yeah, um, they were doing a lot of romance stuff at the time, a lot of westerns, yeah. things like that, and, you know. And some of the romance stuff is still relevant today. Um, yeah. uh, Patsy Walker was one of their big uh, romance titles from uh, the late 40s, uh, mid to late 40s. Yeah. And the way those comics figure into the modern Marvel era is Patsy Walker is a character in the Marvel Universe. Uh, she is uh, nowadays, or for most of her career, has been the superhero Hellcat. It's not what she started as, but it fits. Uh, this The deal with the Patsy Walker Golden Age comics is that Patsy in the Marvel Universe is a stand-in for that, that child celebrity who's being controlled and manipulated by their parent. Like, did you, uh, Adam, did you ever watch the Jessica Jones show? I did. Yeah, so Patsy Walker, her, her Jessica's best friend, Patsy. It's it's all that story right there. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, you never you never watched Jessica Jones, did you, Aaron? Patsy's a, that's I, one of Patsy's characters traits I, in it is that she oh, was yeah. a child star, and her yeah, mom that, is a bitch. Yeah, that that's the way it is in the the yeah. comic book series. Is that like Patsy was forced to, among other things, like be the star of this comic book that you know has somewhat colored her reputation after all this time. Um, but, you know, that's one of those things from that era that's still relevant today. Um, Millie the Model, I think they've uh, revised a couple times as well. She was another one of the, the romance uh, female reader type comics. Um, yeah, no, Namora and Venus are a couple uh, from the same era that uh, got picked uh, back up Venus. in uh, Agents of Atlas. Uh, fire, your desire. Sorry. A little banana rama there for you. Just a little bit. Sorry. Just a little bit. <laughs> But uh, as as they continue on there, um, superheroes, again, they're just not bringing in the bread. Uh, it seems that pretty much with the end of Captain America, uh, they cut off uh, the timely branding. Uh, yeah. Just reading here, uh, the last couple of issues of Captain America were branded Captain America's Weird Tales. And they were just like horror suspense stories that didn't even have superheroes in them. Oh, so you're a psycho got set loose in the German like forest and just went crazy? No, not even that. <laughs> just, um, uh, Here's a werewolf story. We'll just throw it in Captain America as so we get it out there somehow. Captain yeah. America got dark. Yeah, thing, things like that. Uh, Submariner and Human Torch had both ended uh, before the 1940s were finished. Um, uh, Marvel Tales had uh, switched uh, into a horror anthology after uh, dropping uh, their uh, that Angel character that was there for Marvel Comics number one. Uh, yeah, it just kind of fizzles out at that point. Um, but uh, they do continue on under the brand Atlas. Uh, this is uh, the period of the uh, the fifties where they're just mainly continuing what they ended off the forties with. Um, there's, there is still a bit of superhero stuff here and there, um, reprints of some older stories, 
Golden Age comics, I have to admit, are not my repertoire. Um, there's there's interesting stuff there, no doubt. But for my era of collecting, it's always been so hard to not even afford Golden Age comics, just to locate them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, as an example, uh, our local comic book store um, that Daniel and I grew up reading at, uh, Dixon's Comics, when yeah. they closed, I was helping them out, you know, doing what I could to make sure they were still making money in their last couple of months. And when I was sorting and uh, organizing stuff I was finding in the back, I actually found like three Golden Age comics back there. And oh, shit. when I looked them up, they were all like Canadian edition of Disney stuff. And like from the, the beginning of the 40s, or oh, sorry, the beginning of the 50s. And even in the condition they were in, they were like 10 to $15 comics. You know, and, and this is me finding them as an adult in my late twenties, not you know as a kid, as yeah. I'm looking to gather up more in my collection. You know, like the only Golden Age stuff that I personally own are like, I think I've got a Dick Tracy collection. Um, I've got the first one of the Fletcher Hanks collections that uh, I think Fantagraphics put out, um, and a couple of Pogo collections actually. Those technically count. In my book, they count. If it's in a comic strip format. You collect it in a book, it's still a graphic novel. Uh, I only have Silver Age, nothing than that. <laughs> yeah. So as we continue on, we do see that uh, some stuff, like Patsy Walker, as previously mentioned, they're continuing on. Um, uh, Yellow Claws, uh, an espionage series that they had started around the, the 50s, give or take. Uh, that one actually comes into play uh, a bit later on in the Marvel uh, modern era. It's not a culturally representative book. Um, you know, just from the title alone, you can probably already feel yourself cringing. Uh, but uh, they do kind of redeem it a little bit in Agents of Atlas. Um, the uh, the char- the shield agent Jimmy Woo is the, the son of the Yellow Claw. And when he finally learns the truth of his, you know, inheritance and legacy and all that, his father explains, like, nah, that, that yellow claw crap, that, that was just an image I put on because that was expected at the time. That was the sort of caricature I could enact to get my point across and get some attention. It was just a lark, which, you know, as, as far as explanations go, you're not going to find much better for something like that. You know, it, Agents of Atlas comic was quite an excellent series. Uh, it's a really good snapshot of what was going on uh, in the 50s with Marvel. It's probably exorbitant expensive at this point, but there's a, a Marvel Premier Edition hardcover of that first Agents of Atlas miniseries. Uh, it's full of bonus content in it. Uh, the whole uh, ARG thing that they were doing to promote the comic book uh, throughout the various websites is included. And the first appearances of all the involved characters is also there. Uh, we've got uh, M11, the, the human robot, uh, Venus, uh, who they tweak her origin a bit because of all the development with the various pantheons of the Marvel Universe. Her Golden Age stories didn't really jive with some of the way things were developed. So they, they come up with uh, an interesting way to uh, justify uh, her identity as Venus and how she came upon it. Um, 
again, we got Jimmy Wu uh, representing Shield, uh, putting all these clues together. Uh, the Gorilla Man was from uh, a story in the old uh, suspense and uh, horror uh, tales. Um, he was a hunter who killed this legendary gorilla that supposedly had the intelligence of, of a human. Well, when he killed it, he found out that it was a magical curse, and he became the Gorilla Man next. Oh, yeah. uh, these uh, these 50s characters, uh, they were first brought together in uh, uh, an issue of What If? What if the Avengers had existed but during the 50s? And they take all these 50s-era characters, put them together on a team. Uh, we've got the 3D Man, who was not originally published in the 50s. He's a, a Marvel character from the 70s whose adventures originated back in the 50s. Um, it's been a while since I've read them, but I think it was kind of the Marvel version of the Roswell crash. Um, the, the 3D Man uh, and his descendant Triathlon in the Avengers. Uh, their powers were derived from a, a crashed uh, scroll flying saucer or something. Um, he's involved um, Namora, uh, Namor's cousin, uh, the one who had been supposedly dead since the 50s, uh, Namorita's mother, uh, Namorita of the New Warriors, uh, who was supposedly killed off during uh, the uh, um, kickoff to Civil War. Um, her mother, she's one of the 50s characters that's brought back in Agents of Atlas. Her first appearance is included, another um, uh, Bill Everett story, I believe. Um, there's some really good uh, 50s comics uh, included in that, but again, that collection's probably more than a hundred bucks nowadays. But we're also running into one of the big problems in the fifties coming up pretty soon here with, uh, did you ever hear about how the comics code authority was formed? So the, uh, the comics code, uh, no, yeah, I so, go ahead. So go. for all of our readers that aren't aware of what the comics code of authority was, uh, it, it ran from about 1954 until, I'm not exactly sure when they finally gave uh, up it entirely. Sometime in the 2000s. Early 2000s, I think. Around 2001, maybe. Uh, it, it got to the point where only Archie was submitting their stuff to the code, and even then it was just yeah. kind of a, a courtesy thing. The, the, the code itself was a self-censorship by the comics industry to basically ensure that the government wasn't going to come in and censor for them. Uh, back in 1954, some senator decided to do a Senate meeting about... Um, uh, juvenile delinquency in, in the United States and, yeah. and what was causing juvenile delinquency. And they ended up getting this uh, German-American psychiatrist on, uh, on there named uh, Frederick Wortham. And he is one of the most infamous people involved in comics because he stood up in front of the Senate and said that, yeah, that comics are 100% leading towards juvenile delinquency. Here's a book I wrote all about it. Go out and buy a copy. Yeah, a book that he had just released, too. And he, he did things like he went to uh, juvenile halls and things, and he would talk to all the kids there and you know, asked, hey, who have you read, who have you don't? And then he would take the kids who read off, and he would go, okay, which one do you use read comics? And of course, all of them read comics, as back in those days, comics were produced so much, everybody read them. But of course, you know, that's correlation, causation, it, it didn't matter to him, it proved his point. Yeah. Bad kids read comics, comics make bad kids. Well, well, yeah, look at us. I mean, nothing. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're terrible people, eh? But um, <laughs> it, it also didn't help the fact that within the industry, the, the one person they had really that was mostly defending them really didn't know what he was doing. He, Yeah, Max Gaines, I believe it was, um, son of William Gaines, uh, the publisher for EC Brother Comics. Brother Gaines. <laughs> Sorry, but, uh, go ahead. EC Comics, uh, 
they started off doing educational stuff. But once the son took over, uh, he started to uh, exploit the public's desire for a little bit more sensational fare. Gave us uh, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, and a bunch of other crime and suspense type stories. Um, yeah, these were among the most popular comics of the day, so therefore the ones that got the most attention. Uh, as I understand it, Mr. Gaines had a little bit of a, a drug problem. Not like, you know, recreationally, but, you know, relying on stuff like speed just to, you know, keep your energy up. And he was suffering from effects when he was on the stand. And is sometimes a little bit rambling, sometimes a little bit incoherent, but uh, he's being led on by the, the questions presented to him. Uh, one uh, particular exchange um, actually uh, uh, covered in uh, Rick Veach's uh, superhero series, uh, Max Immortal. Almost uh, word for word, it's uh, used in there. Different characters, though, because it's slightly fictionalized. But yeah. Max Gaines has shown a uh, picture of uh, one of the more famous covers of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, a shot of a gentleman uh, roughly mid-torso down to mid-thigh. And uh, in one hand, he's holding a severed woman's head with a little trickle of blood dripping from her lips, her eyes rolled back. And in the other hand, an axe with a bit of blood on it. And the question posed was, does this image appear to be in good taste? And, well, in, in any nuanced discussion, good taste is subjective. But this is, you know, court-senate hearings. There, you got to be a little bit more sound in your arguments. You think um, it would make more sense for him to point out that, no, it's a horror comic. It's not supposed to be good taste, but well, that's, that's horror for you. Started. Yeah. That's where he started. Like, you know, he's admitted, like, well, if for selling a horror comic, yeah, I feel like this is appropriate. And then he just starts getting picked apart over this. Like, well, uh, how, how can you, as, as a publisher, say that this horrific image is, is appropriate? And he's like, well, it could be worse. And, well, that just opened up a new line of questioning. It how, just, how it just it explains how Give us worse details. it could be. <laughs> What what like, do you what do you mean by by worse? And he elaborates on how the the gore and sensationalism of the cover can all be, you know, enhanced in various ways. And this does not help his argument at all. And it's in part how horribly he botched his testimony that led to the self censorship. The, yeah. the powers that be didn't really see much else that they could do, and still be the powers. Yeah, it was basically the best out of any choices they had was this. And I mean, it changed everything. We're no longer getting horror comics. There was extreme limits on what you could, couldn't have in comics. Oh, at yes. this point, the, uh, you the know, code outlawed uh, any, basically any word that had been used in an EC Comics title, terror, suspense, crime, horror, all of those are verboten. You cannot use any sort of word like that. Uh, any depictions of crime, you know, have to be entirely wholesome. You can't depict law enforcement in a negative light. Cannot depict drugs in any fashion. Oh, and supernatural creatures, right out the window. Uh, the most that anybody could get away with doing throughout the late 50s to 60s was uh, giant monster stuff like King Kong, Godzilla, things like that. The rumors yeah. were that the X-Men character Sauron was created because they couldn't just use normal vampires. That's a rumor. I don't know how true that is, but I mean, yeah, it, 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 it runs with what's going on. Similar rumors uh, surround Morbius, whether or not he was 
developed the way he was to get around the supernatural restrictions. He's a, a scientifically created vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he has the uh, the suckers on his hands and takes plasma instead of like you know sucking blood through. Hey, the... that, well, that, at least in, at least in the Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, or, 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 or is that only the cartoon? Okay, that was only the cartoon. Yeah, in the comics, he, he drinks blood. You know, he does. Oh, okay, yeah. things. He does rip open throats. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's my, uh, yeah, that's my uh... dude in the seventies issues. But yeah, by the time you get to the nineties, you got the the Anne Rice blood dripping angsty fangs. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, this because of this, uh, the industry had to look at how they were doing things, and we got a lot more romance comics, things like that. Uh, superheroes, which were dying off at the time, got a new resurgence. DC Comics yeah. had their uh, new version of the Flash, and it was wildly successful. So this, they, this should be pointed out. This is after several years of language trying a few things. Yeah, trying a few things. Of the code, like well, even then, even then, I think Flash kit was fifty. Was it fifty six or fifty nine? Uh, fifty nine, I believe, is when uh, the Flash had its big, uh, big breakthrough, and uh, not long afterwards for uh, Green Lantern. Uh, this is the uh, the Barry Allen Flash and the yep. uh, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Um, new incarnations of what had previously been unrelated uh, Golden Age characters. Oh, no, no, Flash was 1956. 56, okay. Yep, yep, October 56, that, first appeared the, showcase uh, number four. Julie Schwartz doing the uh, the red costume instead yep. of the old uh, uh, Mercury-inspired getup that Alan Scott... No, no, not Alan Scott, that was Green Lantern. Yeah, um, uh, Jay well, Garrick? Jay Garrick, yeah, Jay yep. Garrick. Yep. But this did eventually to the Marvel Universe because, I mean, they had books that were getting really popular over in DC. You know, they did uh, Challengers of the Unknown, which was really, really popular. Uh, Justice that was League. a big runaway success for them. Yep. It was uh, uh, fairly unprecedented because it wasn't uh, a revamp of uh, anything that had previously been a huge hit. The way And, and Justice League. Were. They finally put together Batman, Superman, you know, Flash, Green, Green Lantern, and it became a big title there, Justice League, which was selling like mad. Which led to Martin Goodman having all these other titles that their or uh, their competition had. They he came to Stanley and said, "Hey, we got to come up with something new, some new uh, team book. Team books are popular. Come up with something and, and let's get it out there." So, so Stan was not too thrilled about this. Um, he Stan had, was pretty much done writing comics anyway, considering yeah, he never he, intended to make that his own career in the first place. And, he and, wanted and, to be and, a legit journalist. And not so much that, but at this point, he's getting really fed up with the formulaic nature of uh, how these comics are being made. They're all, they, they haven't grown or changed to any significant degree over the long years. He's tired of it. He wants to move on to something new. So yeah. he's telling, quite famously, he's telling his wife that he's, he's ready to quit. They won't let him do comics that he wants to do. He's stuck being asked to do this new uh, cash-in copying what the other guys have done he's ready to quit so his wife gives him the wonderful advice well if you're thinking of quitting and you just want to do it your own way do it your own way what are they going to do fire you so he goes back to work and he gives them fantastic four it is a team book it is a group of science-based adventurers but go back and read that first issue. They don't wear any costumes. Uh, if you check the design elements uh, for the production of Fantastic Four, they were designed with costumes in mind. And those costumes did even include masks. But Stan quickly, or Jack, I forget which one was the, the finger pulling the trigger on it. But it was decided, nah, we're not going to use the masks. 
don't need them. These guys are a family. Yeah. You know, they, they know who each other are. They have a public identity. Why, why would they need masks? So there's already a few conventions he's bucking. And again, on top of that, in family. Yeah. Look, look at how the Mar or DC characters were. They were all treated like Greek gods who were all never had any problems. They, they, they always solved everything in the end. Never any sort of interpersonal conflict, really. And then he gets the Fantastic Four. And, I mean, Reed's absent-minded. It completely ignores his fiance, who's obsessed with him and can't do anything to get his attention. You got... You know, Ben, who is downright angry at his situation, everything that happened to him. And he got Johnny, who's a dick, who loves fucking with Ben. You know, it's... These, these characters weren't written like that back in these days, you know? No. And that continues on with Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're jumping the gun a little bit there. Um, when Martin Goodman gets the uh, the pre-production issues back, he's, he's furious. You know, this this isn't what he wanted. Why you're screwing me like this? But then he starts to see what the sales figures coming back are like. And Why you do they're like me like a this, lot Dan? more successful than he expected. So he begrudgingly says, okay, you gave me something good with that one. All right, what else you got here, Stan? So, pushing his luck further, Stan goes home and with uh, the help of Steve Ditko, they come up with another new hero character. But this one's a teenager. And he lives at home with, you know, what, for all intents and purposes, are his parents. And they have domestic concerns, like, you know, keeping a roof over their heads, keeping food on the table. Peter goes to school. He's worried about his grades and, you know, how he's, he's dealing with his other uh, fellow students academically and socially. Like, no, this, this isn't how it's done. Readers don't care about this. They want action, adventure, and you can't have the teenager be anything other than the sidekick. You, you done screwed up again, Stan. But, again, he gets the sales figures, and he sees just what a runaway success this is. Throws his hands up, like, all right, go for it, Stan. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Wouldn't it be great if Vince McMahon had the same approach? Oh. <laughs> More people would watch wrestling nowadays, that's for sure. Probably. I'd, I'd probably still be watching it myself, yeah. Yeah, same here. Same <laughs> here. But yeah, that yeah. brings us to uh, what starts the uh, the modern Marvel Universe. Now, there are going to be several key events uh, to happen along the way, in particular in Fantastic Four. A uh, few things to... Uh, reconnect uh, this modern Marvel age a little bit more uh, tightly with the uh, Golden Age stuff that uh, we discussed. Uh, right. Anything else to add uh, at this point here, Dan? I mean, uh, not too much without us starting to get into things like Spider-Man, because, I mean, we can't really get into the early Marvel Universe without talking about the other titles that came out at the time, because in no time, they start crossing over, you know? The uh, Avengers show up at X-Men, Fantastic Four, things like that, it, especially Spider-Man showing up literally everywhere. And also, you got the the proliferation of the rogues galleries, which start to uh, cross pollinate. Yep, uh, you've got, you've got uh, characters that begin to spin off from various titles, like you. And again, like there's going to be some reintroductions that we'll touch up on. So nice. yeah, we've so we've gone from uh, the golden age to uh, the silver age and the very beginning of the modern Marvel age. So yeah, which uh, yeah. That's probably probably a good spot to uh, leave things off for uh, next week's discussion. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, and because we did touch on the Fantastic Four, I did have a uh, post a Twitter question. I thought we'd uh, get more onto them, but we can probably bring it up now. 
is that the, uh, the the uh, the Doctor DC podcast uh, gave us a uh, question about the Fantastic Four, and they're from uh, up there in the Yukon. And it's, uh, can somebody please help me understand what Franklin Richard's powers are and how they work, where they came from, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Franklin Richards is the son of uh, Reed Richards and Sue Storm. Yep. Uh, he's our firstborn. Uh, he is a straight-up mutant. There, There is nothing else beyond the fact that he is a mutant, although he is one of the Omega mutants, which is um, basically the ultimate top-level mutants who have the most power that, you know, nothing can really... If you start delving into uh, some of the deeper X-Men mythology, Franklin's one of the 12 legendary mutants that's supposed to change the course of mutant history. Well, there, there's more than 12 of them when you get to that storyline. Yeah, <laughs> in, in the current stuff, they've, they've really developed what the Omegas are, and he is uh, a uh, reality manipulator. There's he does it on a universal yeah. level where he literally creates and changes, does whatever he wants, and it stays. Yeah, After this recent Secret Wars, he rebuilt the Marvel Universe using his powers. There, there's oh, a few yeah. other uh, reality warpers out there in the Marvel Universe that can change the world to their whim. But yeah, like Franklin's, what, 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 Franklin's in a class by himself. Yeah, like, uh, one of the more popular ones is probably what most people in this know is uh, Wanda, but it's not. she's uh, not nearly not, as... I, her, hers is more of a magic. Her, hers is more I, magic I, I, than that. Yeah. As far as characters that uh, viewing audiences might be familiar with, uh, Legion would be a better example. Oh yeah, which uh, which is like yeah, I think they they have FX show who is also yes, uh, Xavier's uh, uh, son or brother. Yeah, or son. also not so much that Legion is a reality warper. Legion's powers is that he has every power. Yeah, and every he, time he needs it, he can suddenly manifest a new power. Yeah. yeah on the other hand, you have uh, Proteus, who was Warner McTaggart's son, who could warp mm -hmm. reality too. Difference being, his is psionic. So when he walked away from it, it would revert back to normal. It was a localized effect with him. Exactly. And, and it, it wasn't permanent. It wouldn't stay. Whereas Franklin, if he wants to suddenly change a building into an entirely different form, it will change and it will stay that way. It also seems, though, that to my recollection, Proteus's uh, usage was quite a bit more jarring and disturbing on a sensory level. I can remember uh, the X-Men characters recovering from his attacks and just being shaken. Yeah, I could say, yeah, because uh, my only... Uh... Yeah, uh, thing with him is uh, the uh, X Men cartoon, and then Wolverine. That's, and that's basically a straight up adaptation yeah. of what happened in the comics, more or less. Like it's it's yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah, but that X Men cartoon was good for a that. little bit darker than the cartoon was allowed to be. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. But yeah, that that was a pretty good story arc for uh, the cartoon adaptation. As yeah. it stands right now in the uh, current stories, Franklin seems to be getting depowered. Um, he's he's running Something out of power for some reason, yeah. and they're trying to figure out how to solve it. Uh, the X-Men and the uh, Fantastic Four also recently got into a fight over him, with the X-Men all moving to the island on Kokoa and wanting Franklin to join them, and his parents wanting nothing to do with that, and completely ignoring what Franklin wants. So, you know, generally yeah. how it, that family views that son. <laughs> <laughs> Covering a bit of Franklin's genesis, uh, he was first created in mid-60s, uh, 66, I think it was, in Fantastic Four Annual number 5, I want to say, maybe 6, uh, probably 5. But, uh, you know, the, the conception was, we, the Fantastic Four are a family, Reed and Sue are married, of course they're going to have kids, that's just logical. So they had a kid. But with Franklin being the son of two uh, people whose genes were bombarded with cosmic rays and altered, Franklin's X-gene powers were active almost from the get-go. 
Uh, he didn't have to wait till puberty to have full access to his abilities. So for a good chunk of his early years, he was left in uh, uh, scientific stasis. Also in those years, they did treat his powers more like an unknown cosmic. They didn't really know what his powers were, where they came from, why he had them. And it wasn't until John Byrne took over that John Byrne kind of took a step in the direction of going, oh, he's a mutant. Yeah, which was completely logical with uh, the character. Yeah, It is. I mean, at that point, they hadn't established the fact that most superpowered people, if they have children, will likely end up being mutants, which is now something that's well established in the Marvel Universe. It doesn't guarantee it, but it's, it makes it more likely. Probabilities yeah. are much higher. Yeah. But uh, once, uh, like Daniel mentioned there, uh, John Byrne's run of uh, Fantastic Four, um, that brings Franklin back into play. Um, I believe Walt Simonson's run also uh, has a bit of fun with Franklin. Uh, but one of his major uh, ongoing uh, usages was in Louise Simonson's uh, Power Pack. Uh, that was uh, a group of uh, child superheroes. Uh, they were four kids, all siblings. The youngest one, Katie Power, was the same age as Franklin. So they were a natural playmates. And even though psionic blocks had been placed on Franklin's psyche to keep his powers under control at this very young age, he's like, five maybe four at this time uh he still has subconscious access to it like when he's uh, asleep uh he can uh call forth his astral form like we see dr strange do all the time like he could do it we refer to it as his dream form because he doesn't he's not educated on the astral plane or anything like that he's just a little kid yeah. who does what he does naturally but he could do like telepathy, uh, precognition, uh, a few different things uh, in his uh, dream state. But it was subject to him being asleep for the most part. Um, during uh, those power pack years, uh, he did spend time living with uh, the power family. Yes, that's right. Their family name is Power. Yes. Um, <laughs> because Reed and Sue felt it was better to have Franklin in a stable home. Uh, they thought stable home environment. Neither the Richardses nor the Power parents knew what was going on with their kids. They didn't. X Factor had a better idea of it. The X Men had a better idea of it than they, their parents did. You know, they're, they're a little yeah. bit more up on uh, unruly kids. Wolverine absolutely knew what was going on. He saved them, and specifically Katie Power, a few times. Yeah, those, those precocious little kids wandered into the middle of the mutant massacre. That was a fun time. But, oh, those uh, kids. Yeah, yep. no, they, Franklin lived with them for a while to give him a little bit more stability in his childhood. Um, you know, sibling-type characters to uh, to develop with before he got his own sibling. Years yep. later, they have a second kid, uh, Valeria Richards. She's yep. named by Doctor Doom. Yep. <laughs> but there are some pretty good Franklin stories out there. Uh, he was very important in the 90s story Onslaught. Uh, yeah. After that, he joined Generation X for a while. Uh, there was a really good a Fantastic Four arc called Unthinkable that he was a pretty important part of. And both that the... Was, uh, that was X or Fantastic uh, Four 500? Yeah, 500, yep. Doctor Doom does some pretty messed up stuff in that. Oh, all-time all terrible villain stuff. Like, yeah. Outside of Marvel Comics, I have read some pretty gruesome horror comics. Uh, follow a number of characters that can be quite imaginatively dangerous. Yeah. Like, hell, one of my favorite comic book characters is uh, Ron Post from Those Annoying Post Brothers. If you've heard of him, you know that that's a dangerous character. But what Doctor Doom does in Unthinkable is... Unthinkable. Top-tier, yeah. horrific villain stuff. And I've watched Ron Post bite a baby's head off. 
Uh, he's also, Franklin had some pretty good storylines in both the uh, 1980s Fantastic Four X-Men comic and the recent one that just came out with the Dawn of X stuff. Uh, oh, nice. All, right. all around, though, it's, it's one of those characters that you can find some pretty interesting stories about him. Uh, he was involved in Days of the Future's Past storyline because he oh, was yeah, Rachel's had, husband uh, in the future. The adult version of him. Yep, who came back later in the Days of the Future Days Present storyline. Yeah. That's one that I've wanted to read for a while. but Just borrow it from I, me. Well, anytime I thought of it, you didn't have the whole thing at the time. I figure you got it by now. Oh, I've had all of it for years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Me, me and 80s X-Men stuff, it's pretty solid for me at this point. It was, from what I remember, it was just a matter of you putting together a comprehensive enough list and beginning to check off all the things that you Actually, did. I think for that one, it was more of me trying to track down the last, uh, the Fantastic Four annual. I think the rest of it I had no problem, but it was that Fantastic mm -hmm. Four annual that was hard to find. Yeah, for, for those that might be wondering what we're talking about with like annuals and things like that, uh, there is a concept in comics called the fifth week event. Um, every so often, due to the, uh, the calendar, you get uh, a month that has five Wednesdays instead of the usual four. Uh, traditionally, companies like Marvel and DC would use this fifth week to uh, put out something like an annual. And oftentimes these annuals would be uh, a part of a big crossover. So in tracking down these big, usually in the summertime, crossover events can be a little bit challenging because, you know, parts one, two, and four, you know, they, they may have been from comics that uh, were super popular and had super huge print runs. But then one of the other chapters might not be as big of a uh, title, so there wasn't as much printed, and there's not as many going around. So that one might be a little bit harder to find. Uh, or ultimately, fun. a particular series started to get hot, and there's collectors that just want the entire series, regardless of you know what the stories are. Yeah. And then that's another annual that is part of a bigger story, but where are you going to find the rest of it? Exactly. That's always fun. And but, part uh, of the trouble I have personally found with uh, trying to collect the annual crossovers, and I think Daniel will agree with me on this, is accidentally buying the same damn ones you already have. Yeah, I've yeah, done that more than once. And yeah, that, that's why that's why I have my list on my phone now, just for like, going through stuff. Uh, or, or, yeah, it's a, it's a very good idea to do it that way. Very yeah, good yeah. idea. Before uh, I finally had a smartphone, I had a series of different little spiral yeah. notebooks. Okay. For all the different sections of my comic collection, yeah, so glad you retired all that. And then also the trick is too is to update it once you get stuff because I've those yeah, oh, yeah. Those every time. Day, so, yeah. but uh, every but yeah. time, yeah. So that's uh, that's always the fun of uh, collecting comics, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the hunt is I, I love the hunt. You know, exactly. it's, it's the fun yeah. part. Go, go to a con and coming out with a whole stack of books you've been looking yeah. for for a while is so fun. Rating bins yeah. at comic Spending stores more money than you should have. But feeling yeah. okay about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think on Tuesday I'll be able to do a little bit of uh, hunting on uh, at the at that BMV because I'll be downtown for a couple hours. Very nice. So. Very nice. I, I wish I could. Describe hunting grounds there at BMV. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, oh, yeah, it's the, a, the wonderful yeah. things you can find there. I, I got yeah. I got the first volume of the uh, Flintstones trade there for like six bucks because the cover nice. was a little damaged. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, that I, comic I, was awesome. Yeah. I, I miss I miss living not too far away from there. Yeah. But, uh, but I said, but if Tuesday goes well, that may all change. So here's hoping. Here's hoping, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think that for now, I think that should uh, wrap things up. Uh, there, that's everything for you guys. I think. 
Yeah, yeah, seems to be. All right. Until next week. Yeah, all right. I think for that now. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, up until next week, I, I I am producing another podcast. Go check that out. It's called uh, "There's Nobody Here Named Josh," where I do that with my old college roommate. And uh, yeah, um, until next week, folks. Um, read some comics. <laughs>